had a coach that really understood the mindset piece of it because like especially as a runner when you're out there for 17 minutes on a track like you're going to think and your mind's going to tell you many times to give up making an athlete a show about athletes coaches scouts trainers and the stories behind their careers and what it takes to build yours Hey, I'm Ty Davis, and on today's show, former Division I track and field standout Paris Hodges talks work ethic and using junior college as a stepping stone to get a full-ride scholarship to a Division I school. Um, first off, let's uh, start off with uh, who you are, Paris. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on here, Ty. I am um, beyond honored that you would ask me to be a guest, and I am very excited to share my story. Um, so I guess here we go. I, I'm Paris. Like you said, I was born and raised in Hayward, California, which is beautifully nestled right in the East Bay near Oakland, um, across the bridge from San Francisco, uh, right there smack in beautiful California. Um, I was very much a product of my surroundings and my upbringing. I was literally raised on the soccer field. I have an older sister and brother. Uh, My brother's nine years older than I am and sister who is eight years older than I am. And my dad coached my older sister and my younger sister and I are 19 months apart. And my dad would be coaching Penny and all of her soccer soccer um adventures and literally running up and down the side of the field with me on one side of his hip and my younger sister Paige on the other side of his hip so i literally my roots were very much on the actual soccer field um then the other side of me the runner part um came because my parents did a lot of road races like 5k's and 10k's and had a a jogging stroller and um threw Paige and I into the jogging stroller and would run and not very done safely uh (laughs) they would actually like put both of us in a single jogging stroller intended for one person which might have lended to why I wanted to get out of the jogging stroller Uh. it didn't (laughs) <laughs> it didn't take very long for me to shift from being in there to being out running alongside my dad. I very much remember one of my first 10 Ks that I did. And I was, I'm pretty positive. I was about in kindergarten and I was just always that very stubborn, I think would be the the best word to describe me individual who wanted I think I was always trying to find where I fit in in my family and like my validation and that lended well to developing the athlete that I was. Um, so I immediately jumped out of that said jogging stroller and started running and then had my roots that began on the track, um, through the Catholic youth organization, CYO program. And I started running, um, in kindergarten, um, with that and did cross country and track and was part of like every form of soccer. Um, soccer was very big in my family. Again, like with having an older sister, my older brother played briefly as well until he transitioned over to 
um, roller hockey, which uh-huh. is a whole nother story <laughs> as to, to the like interesting individual and um, just robust athletic upbringing that I had. Um, my dad was a collegiate wrestler as well as he played football. And so um, to kind of, I guess, forge this story forward, how I kind of had that ingrained in me as a child was my dad very much wanted to help cultivate um, the ability for us to be athletes because he was the oldest of 12 coming from oh, a wow. very blue, blue collar family. Um, his parents had separated and remarried, but his, the bulk of his um, immediate brother and sisters were, there were six of them and he was the oldest of all of them. And then you That's introduced all of them. Yeah, it, it was. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for who my father is and what that, that like ingrained into us. Um, as athletes, but he having been the oldest at the age of 18 was kicked out of the house and had was kind of left on his own. And he made the junior college Chabot a four year institution as he likes to tell the story <laughs> and then went on um, to Cal state at the time Hayward and started wrestle and, or continued his wrestling career. He went on to make it to nationals on Fortunately, though, because he was paying his way through college, was unable to actually go and compete. And uh-huh. he just, he grew up with parents who didn't really understand the value of athletics. Like everything was very like work driven. You got to, you have to provide for the family. And especially coming around that time, my dad was very much a child of, he's born in the, the 40s. I hope my dad doesn't get offended. <laughs> 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 I'm really sharing all that. But like also, um, graduated from high school in 66, you know, so you throw in all of this mix and like the understanding of both the nuclear family at that point in time and the pressure on the, on males to be the sole provider, it really lended to shape the individual that he was. And thus he found it more important at that period of time, especially without having the support system of parents to nurture um, that ath- athletic like uh achievement in him um that he ended up not going and so what he had said to all of us kids growing up was that in order for us to go away to college and not be at home that we had to do so on a full ride scholarship and so i knew that my ticket (laughs) out was going to be in athletics and it's not that i wasn't an intelligent person i just like where my heart always was was on the field or on the track so that was a a full ride um for anything not not just anything athletics okay okay yeah and so they literally um wouldn't pay for my application fees in high school. And I wasn't working, so I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't actually do that. But my parents were, were so kind in allowing us to make sports our job in high school. I wasn't one of those kids that meet, that um, had parents that like forced them to get jobs, which is like good and bad. I, I did a lot of manual labor. I can <laughs> homegirl can throw a weed whacker around, right. which also 
lended to a lot of who I became like on an athletic field. But um, that is largely what motivated me to continue on. And that connection with my father, like both of my parents were my coaches for soccer and as well as like for much of my life. And they also were so deeply rooted in the soccer community in Hayward. They started elementary school leagues. They started a middle school league while I was in school, as well as then also helped create a junior high um, cross country and track program um, in Hayward. So I was very, I'm so lucky. Like now in speaking through this all, like it's the the immense amount of gratitude that I have for parents that really helped forge that path for me and cultivate really cultivated that um, is something that I am immensely grateful for. Um, if you would have asked me as a child, though, I, all I wanted to do was be a ballerina. And so, <laughs> but I'm, I am very grateful for the path that I walked. Um, so yeah, that's me in a nutshell. All right. Well, that's awesome. And that's awesome. You know, at the core of, of, you know, how you became an athlete and and where that foundation came from, you know, coming from your father and your mother. Um, I had, you know, similar for me, my, you know, my dad was, you know, he, he, he played baseball in college, but, um, you know, looking back, or if I talked about, he'd still tell you he wasn't something he was passionate about. And I was lucky to have him as a coach. Um, but for me, it was, you know, he, he coached up until maybe about 12 years old. And and at that point he said, Hey, this is, this is where it stops for me because this is about, you know, hitting the max of my knowledge level of the game, you know, you you know, and this is time for you to move on to other coaches who have, you know, spent more time um, investing in and teaching what goes on from here. And so it was still a big part of my life, but uh, he, he knew when, uh, you know, he had hit his ceiling in terms of a, a coach and from there on, you know, just supported as a father. Um, yeah, my mom did too, but, uh, mom, uh, mom, mom supported in a, you know, in a very mom-like way where I was, you know, the star in her eyes always. And, uh, yeah, the best, the best damn orange slices that a mom (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's so important and uh, sorry, not to cut uh, you off this time, but also to like, I think that's such a valuable lesson of what you just said of parents identifying when they're no, when the lessons and the teachings are now like out of their scope, um, and not letting that ego get in the way. Luckily, my younger sister and I had stepped up at one point. Let's see, we were in high school and for our league soccer, we're like, we can't continue playing in our hometown league because the individuals around us aren't aligned with where they want to go. And so we ended up moving over to a neighboring city um, to be a part of their like youth soccer program. And we're able to develop ourselves even more because of the resources at hand. And it was one of the most invaluable, it was a difficult conversation to have because my parents were so deeply rooted in our, in our um, community. But what we saw ourselves becoming wasn't going to be cultivated in that same exact environment. And, you know, there's so many different, they were in such a interesting place. It's one of the top four, um, most diverse cities in the entire nation and the socioeconomic divide is quite fast. You have a lot of 
people who migrate into America that come there and you know, just cultural differences too right. um, and expectations. It's so it lended to all of that. And so when Paige and I stepped up and said, like, we want to move to the next level, um, you know, it, luckily we had parents that did end up supporting that and helping us develop. And then we had additional trainers at our disposal, but um, yeah, it really, it wasn't a difference in that all. And just like you shared with your father, being able to um, step down and understand when it was no longer in his scope, I think is really, really invaluable for parents to kind right. of understand. If you want for your kid to get to that next level, at some time you need to put your ego down and allow them to actually grow. Yeah. Let them blossom at the next level and, you know, hope that what you've done to that point is they're going to carry that on and then apply it and take on what the new coaches have. But totally. So- yeah, going, you know, with a, a, a lot of what you talked to me, you kind of, you know, hinted or not hinted, but really talked about a couple of the sports that you played. Um, so as a kid, you know, did you play multiple sports? You talked about, you know, you're a runner, you played soccer. Was there other sports even, you know, you wanted to be a ballerina, even um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, though? That's it's I mean, it, it it's all important. As, a, as a sport, um, you know, it's it's an activity, but, you know. I guess, what are some of the things that you did as a kid and how did that bring you to um, at the point when you went on to college and choosing the specific sport that you want to do? Was it because you were good, you were passionate or a combination of both? I guess if you could walk me through that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we're to to kind of back that story up where I'll start. Um, So I grew up doing all of them. I was really lucky that I had parents that, um, were open to me doing everything um, that I wanted to do in that capacity in running and soccer. And so it was like, it was year round that we were doing that stuff. Um, I did bailar folklorico, which is Mexican dancing, um, growing up in elementary school. And so I was able to kind of have that little bit. Then I did um, gymnastics for a brief period in elementary school as well. Um, so I was able to be immersed in lots of different stuff and understand, um, a little bit of different pieces. And then growing up watching my brother play roller hockey, I had parents that watched, um, football. I grew up with, uh, season tickets to the Oakland A's. So I was really immersed in athletics all the time. It was something that I was constantly around. And so my own little ego at that point in time, especially like in high school, I always wanted to prove guys wrong, like in their belief that women Mm -hmm. were weak. And so one of my role models is Billie Jean King and Brandy Fantine. And I saw these really great role models. Yeah, they really were. And, um, and I had title nine drilled into my head. I like I held in high school. I was the associated student body commissioner of women athletics. Um, one of my homeroom teachers was the head of football. Um, and I just was always big about like women in sports and women empowerment. And so that also drove a lot of like, I never wanted to seem less than any of the guys. Um, so I was constantly learning about sports and like pushing myself, um, 
and just trying different things that I could, uh, as well as, you know, cross country is such a man and women's sport and as is track. So all of my teammates were, were men also too. So that kind of added to that varying degree. And then, uh, like I learned how to roller roller blade using my brother's roller roller blades at the age of probably like eight. You fit fit in them? No, they did not fit. (laughs) (laughs) So we talk about scrappiness. Um, And so that was very much who I was. I was that scrappy athlete. And my junior year of high school, I ended up getting injured. I had compartmental syndrome, which is typically an acute injury. What, what'll happen is like motorcyclists will get into an accident and it's like having carpal tunnel, like in your hand, but in your leg. And, um, they had to go in and do a fasciotomy. Unfortunately, my recovery was much longer than what I had anticipated. And when I went into high school, I knew that I wanted to graduate with 12 letters and I wasn't about to not do that. (laughs) So I, I ended up going out and playing golf my senior year so that I could get that additional letter. I had a friend, one of my very close friends in high school um, brought me out and I picked that up and it was, I, it's something that my son and I now enjoy together um, and I really want to be able to, to have more time spent on the golf course because the, the mental game associated with it and, um, just my own, again, like personal stubbornness, uh, in wanting to like push my body to see what I can do. Um, I really want to dive more into that, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, so when I graduated high school, having those two years when I really wasn't able to um, be at my full capacity, I ended up developing a pretty severe uh, eating disorder, which uh, I'm going to be very careful in how I say this because I don't want to make the assumption that like eating disorders are great, but it lended well to the athlete that I ended up becoming Mm -hmm. in college. And so Again, going back to that story of what we were all told as kids that like in my family, that we weren't going to be able to go away to school unless we did so on a full ride scholarship. When I graduated high school, I wasn't going to be going on to the next level. I was, to be very frank and honest, I was fairly overweight for my size at that point in time. I hadn't been able to to work out, um, at my like full capacity and, you know, to be a really strong athlete at that point in time, like it takes, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time in the weight room. And we just didn't have those resources at my high school to be quite frank. Um, Hayward, again, going back to that socioeconomic divide, um, we just didn't have those resources. And we also didn't have the knowledge of like the nutrition and, right. you know, the, the mindset stuff. All of that really plays into being able to step into that next level. And I just wasn't there. I didn't have all of those tools before. So when I sucked it up, 
uh, as I like to say, and went to the junior college, the local junior college. And I played that fall. I ended up playing my last year of league soccer so that I could play one last year with my younger sister. And one last, it was going to be my last year having my dad as a coach. Um, And so we did that. And it was a really, it was a time that I felt very lost and I didn't know exactly who I was, but which is part of why I clinged so much to that eating disorder, as well as like knowing that I needed to try and manipulate my body at that point in time to be something to get myself further on. Um, and I didn't want to stay in my hometown. I knew that I wanted to get out and my ticket out was going to be on that track or on that soccer field. I actually kind of felt that it was going to end up being on the track more than than the soccer field because I just also wasn't a very secure person, clearly by, you know, latching on to an eating disorder. Um, I didn't feel confident enough, like in that arena and didn't allow myself to feel confident that like, I felt more at home and in control, I guess would actually kind of be the best way to describe it on the track and um, on the cross country course. And so what I did that following spring was my first um, Juco track season. And I ended up being number four, in Northern California in the 800. Okay, um, what, and what just uh, again, what Juco were you? Or I went to, I went to Chabot and also, so Chabot junior college has a sister junior college, um, in Pleasanton, Livermore, I guess, technically called Las Positas. And the Mm -hmm. two of them, um, are joined together like as sister colleges. And so if one has one sport and the other one doesn't like you can simultaneously, be an athlete for either one and only go to school at one of them, if that makes sense. So like, makes sense. I was taking classes at Chabot and then in the following fall, I ended up running cross country for Las Positas and at the same time playing soccer for Chabot. And so what I started to do and stepped into was like that summer right after that, like fairly successful, um, junior college track season is I spent all of my time working my butt off, like quite literally. And again, like (laughs) not nourishing myself, but I was in the weight room all the time. I took a weight, weight class. Um, I was training intensely. We had a, an amazing soccer coach at Chavot, um, Tony Igwe. He actually played for the Nigerian national team and just, he had, a hit long history of breeding champion soccer players. All of his kids wow. are absolutely amazing. In fact, I believe one of his daughters is over in the UK and I like, hopefully am not misspeaking, but she went on and played um, in Europe. I know that. And both of his sons, I believe one of them played in the MLS, but Tony like bred amazing soccer players. And so we were having our butt kicked, but I wasn't training for cross country. I would literally go out on the weekends and just race and just to see what happens. Um, and to get, to continue to get my name out there. And I started to have schools interested in me, um, after that spring track. So it kind of, to, to go back to your original question of like how I ended up choosing, um, my path that I took as soon as I got into the junior college by making that decision 
to spend that fall season of what would have been JUCO soccer in the league soccer arena, I kind of forfeited, I guess, in a way, that decision to go on and play soccer. Um, I I could have, I mean, potentially, but um, I started to have schools interested in me. So I started to see my ticket out immediately. And that's what I kind of ended up jumping at. And that fall, I had a school, um, the University of Southern Mississippi wanted me immediately because I was a qualifier out of high school, which has to do with the Mm. NCAA and academics. Um, I was able to write that ticket out like right away. And I took my, go ahead. So this was, so you, you did one, so um, for junior college or JUCO and and those listeners out there that, for the, what JUCO means is junior college is just a abbreviation of it. Um, you spent one year at JUCO and you, you ran that spring and then that's when, um, uh, you said Southern yeah. Miss started talking to you. So they started and brought you out in, in your second year of your coll- collegiate career. Yep. So by all technicalities. Um, so it was, I ran that spring, like at the end of my very first year at okay. Chabot and then the fall, I did soccer and cross country simultaneously. I ended up um, like breaking the school record at Las Positas for cross oh, wow. country, which was, <laughs> it wasn't a great school record, but something that, that was so hey, cool. Records that I was record. Able to, yeah, <laughs> that was able to achieve. Um, and, and then my coach at Southern Miss had actually come from DVC, which is in that, the Bay area junior college, um, circle. And so she knew to look at California junior college athletes, um, for recruits because she knew that they, you know, California is such an interesting hub for sports because it is so densely populated and competitive to be quite honest. Um, (laughs) like athletics are on that next level here. Like I ended up going on to run with kids um, in college who made it to state every single year and hearing their times, I would be like, you wouldn't have even made it out of the league, (laughs) you know? And so, so Anyways, Coach Goodson knew to look well, with, to with the junior colleges. Quick, sorry to yeah, end, of course. get on, but I'll, nope. I'll you know I'll second what you're saying with the, with the you know the California JUCOs, and uh, this is not to say that you know any you know junior colleges throughout the, the rest of the United States aren't good. There's there's a lot of mm-hmm. good ones out there, but at least For speaking sure. uh, on baseball, and you know baseball was my sport all through college. Um, you know, it was uh, often recommended that if, if you weren't, you know, ready for that four year level college uh, or that, that four year, the four year level that you go to a JUCO in California. Um, yeah. And, you know, if someone like me who yeah, I graduated uh, as a 17 year old, so I was a little bit behind in terms of maturing. Um, it was great for me because I went to California JUCO and spent um, actually three years there because I, I travel redshirted in my first year and that helped me grow into a better athlete where I ended up, you know, as a pitcher throwing harder and then, um, you know, eyes from D1s or even D2s and AIs, yeah. um, they're on those JUCOs in California and it gave me the opportunity to, to move on to Division One. So um, there, totally. there's, you know, the level and, you know, I don't know, I got to check on this, but at the time, California still has its own JUCO um you know, system where you know, playoffs and championships are done in California only. And I think 
the rest of the United States um, shares, you know, a, a, a championship game together. So that kind of shows a little bit of uh, how California prides itself in its sports or its junior college sports, but great yeah. platform for people like Southern Miss, like you're saying, um, to take a look at you and, and it, so, yeah. Yeah, it really was. And I'm, it's something that I'm forever grateful for, especially that she knew to look there. Um, because I think it, it's also partially the stigma that gets held specifically in the Bay area where um, it's not valued as much to go to start at that junior college level. And it's something that I am forever grateful for, to be honest, I didn't value it as much at the time, but I wasn't ready for a four year college by Mm -hmm. any means when I graduated um, high school, I've realized I've always kind of taken um, a bit, I'm a bit of a late bloomer in many ways and to really come and find myself and be able to have those resources, like have athletic trainers, have weight rooms, have coaches that really like understood and not to say anything um, about my coaches in, in high school. I had amazing coaches in high school, but it just takes a lot to really cultivate an athlete. And I wasn't as hungry, I think for it in high school and needed to have all of those, like those cards fall into place that way. And it's, um, I'm so glad that I had a coach that understood it at Southern Miss. So when I took my official visit, I ended up falling in love with the girl who would end up becoming my roommate as well as the team and the program. And I knew deeply that I wanted at the time, originally, I thought I wanted to go into athletic training. Mm -hmm. Um, So I knew that I wanted to go to a school that had a big football program and Southern (laughs) Miss just really checked off all of those boxes. And the only other school at that period of time in the fall that was very um, hungry to have me was a school in Michigan. And and, um, I ended up saying like, I would never go to a school where it snows all the time. I ended up eating those words later (laughs) on when I transferred and finished at Idaho state. Um, but you know, I, it's something that I'm forever grateful for that she understood the type of athletes that were available, especially in the, the California junior college system, because they're such strong athletes and, you know, very intelligent people that can provide so much value to any college out there. And I think sometimes, and this is just my perspective and in my experience of some of the conversations that I've had, people want those kids right out of high school. But, you know, when you get that like slightly more mature athlete, who's a little bit more hungry because they know that they need, that they want to go on they, those ones end up going on and really, um, stepping fully into their like full self as an athlete, if that makes sense. And so that's exactly what ended up happening for me. Okay. Then that makes sense. And there's you know, and again, I apply everything in the baseball world cause that's what I was part of, but there is, yeah. um, often, you know, universities that were known as, you know, their Juco transfer schools, they, they really liked, uh, junior college players that spent a couple of years and then they transferred and they got them for two years. But there's also those universities that they, they wanted their athletes, um, you know, straight out of high school because it gave them, you know, four to five solid years to groom them into what they wanted to be and, um, gave them all that, that time. So, uh, there's a, a different 
you know, approach totally. different universities out there, but you know, similar and no to disrespect what, to, to either one of them. Like right. they, it's just like, there's a hundred different ways to climb a mountain. <laughs> and if it's something that you really want to go on and do, um, like my message to athletes out there is that like, if you don't make it right out of high school, that doesn't mean that your ticket isn't writ- is yep. written off. Like you still have 100% options. agree. Right. Like if you're hungry for it, you can make it on. And like, like just like any of those stories of you hear about that 35 year old dad who ends up finally making it to the NHL or, <laughs> you know, you have all of these just stellar stars. Um, but kind of to lend into some more, I, <laughs> with, so all the the listeners will understand. I looked at like some of the questions, like to kind of go on, like um, some of the questions that you were going to ask what it takes to really mold a true athlete. Like it's going to take work. If you are hungry for it, it's you have to change bottom line because that's exactly without me really understanding that that's exactly what happened to me when I went on, um, to Southern Miss and how I stepped into becoming that next level athlete because I shaved off two and a half minutes of my 5k time Ooh, wow. my first yeah which is when you really understand what that like <laughs> those types of numbers mean when you're at that D1 level I also had a coach um, that I am for ever grateful for who understood me as an athlete who um, I am the Oof. type of individual that is more quality over quantity and um and she treated me she i walked in running the 800 and 1500 on the track but man when you step into that d1 world those (laughs) girls are sprinters and i wasn't a sprinter at that point in time in my life and she identified that and put me into the 5k on the track and I excelled and I almost, almost broke her school record, uh, but was like one second off, which is, she talks about it. Um, she's shared many stories, but I am forever grateful for coach Goodson and what it was that she did and who she saw me as, as an athlete, because a lot of coaches kind of wrote me off. I came in as this very temperamental, nobody knew exactly what was going to end up happening with me because I had had compartmental syndrome. So it meant that like, I was going to take a very different training approach. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly, she had me constantly in the pool. I was constantly cross training and she trained me as though I was an 800 meter runner, but then I would go out and race the 5k and that's part of how I ended up kind of going on and I found during that time period and uh I found yoga and I ended up really attaching myself to yoga and that's also what kind of allowed me to step up because I learned how to control my breathing Mm -hmm. and I learned how to control my body on track and I would literally be racing down the the last hundred meters and I could feel my body tense up and all I would have to do was breathe. And there was so much power in that, but I was, I would wake up. I was had morning practice at 6am and that was one of either in the pool, we would be out running. We would be, in I would be on the elliptical, and so you know you're, you're kind of sort of to interrupt Go you, but ahead. just to to set the um, so what you're kind of going into here is you're talking about your training regimen now. Are you talking about yeah. like, this is at that 
that division one or that uh, Southern Miss, um, yep. Richmond. Okay. So keep going. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but so, just so those listeners out there understand, you're, you know, you're diving in here to what a training regimen is like um, for that that D1 athlete, or even you know, this could be applicable to a D2 or an AIA athlete. But this is from your experience, I think at Southern Miss. From from my experience, though, this is like the training program, like that, just to set that stage for people to understand what it takes to step into that next level. And this isn't to like be discouraging because I kind of went to a varying degree, but just in understanding that if you want to make it to that next level, you have to make changes in yourself. And so I cut out, like, I didn't spend as much time watching TV. I spent time doing core exercises or I was doing an extra um, time in the weight room or I was signed I was signed up for yoga classes like I was doing everything that I could to to make myself a machine which is kind of crazy to think about but that's <laughs> you know when you when you are a high caliber distance runner that's what it takes like your body is a machine and so I was able to really blossom into myself by setting myself up for success in those ways. And I had a coach that really understood the mindset piece of it because like, especially as a runner, when you're out there for 17 minutes on a track, like you're going to think and your mind's going to tell you many times to give up. And that's kind of like what it is too, as, as an athlete in your daily practice, you're, you're also, dealing with classes, you're dealing with relationships, you're dealing with friendships. There's so much going on that if you're not rigid in, if if you're not really set in stone, you know, in all of those daily practices um, to keep you grounded, it can end up breaking you in many ways. And I'm just really thankful for the coach that I had there. I mean, and all of my coaches, like I had amazing coaches my entire life that I'm forever grateful for. So what, like you're saying, like the, the difference in, you know, that, that balancing that schedule is incredible. And, and it's something that a lot of people or a lot of people, when you're coming out of, um, high school into college, um, even from JUCO to that, um, four year level for me, it, it, it's a, huge balance of academics um oh yeah uh, you know weight class of actually practice and games and even the travel time that's included and then like you said you know you're obviously you're young and you you know you have relationships and um that it plays a part in it and on top of that the friendships that you're creating um that is all you know a huge change when that person is going to that that next level of a you know, dedicated four year, year round university. Um, Completely. And, and like you said, you know, with the coaches and memorable ones, those are very, very important and different levels. And, you know, for me personally, I had um, coaches at different levels, whether it's my high school coach who always motivated me. Um, it, you know, same as you, he, you know, I had the great motivation and he would give me his time and, and train with me, but I didn't have, you know, access to weight rooms or anything like that or yeah. um, understand that. But then carried that on to coaches, you know, in different parts of my collegiate career who all, um, you know, different ones who spent time and, and I was able to connect with 
mentally and they can understand how you know I approached it and what the best learning process for me. That was so important um, and totally. making me want to continue to love the game and not get frustrated with it because I had someone there that understood how I learned. Um, and that's, yeah. you know, for listeners, whether it's parents or athletes that are listening to us, it's not, you know, every coach is not the same. Every coach is not going to understand how yeah. you learn personally. It's something that, um, you know, there's a little a mix of luck. And um, when you're, you know, finding, not necessarily finding a team, but when you're choosing a, a university or team to play with, that's important. And understanding that that coach's approach to teaching and, um, yeah. and, and getting those up- athletes to understand. You bring up such a valuable point that I was kind of circling around also that, you know, taking the time to really vet um, coaches to make sure that they understand you because for all of those reasons that, you know, you are created in one sort of way, I'm created in some sort of way and making sure that you have a coach that understands your strengths and weaknesses and can help you learn how to balance them. And because I then went on to another program um, that everybody just did all of the exact same thing. And I also was just in a very different like mental place at that point in time that I crumbled and I ended up not performing to my full potential. Um, as well as I jumped into doing at one point in time, I was doing like a hundred miles a week. And so it was a very differing, um, experience for me where I went when I was at Southern Miss, I was literally doing 30 miles maybe a week and, uh, or 35 to 40 at tops miles a week. Then that additional tack on of like 60. And this was also me being a stubborn kind of athlete of wanting to prove to see if I could even do it. But I broke down, my body broke down and I ended up being very injured and very sick for my, the following years, um, in college. And so it just, it didn't end up working out well for me, but yeah, it's again, vetting those coaches and making sure that it's the right fit, not just not really following my lead and jumping at that first opportunity, but I did feel very much at home. There was a comfort piece. I didn't just like take the first offer. I would have stayed if it didn't feel right. And it did for me, but you really need to be intentional an understanding of who you are, but also an understanding who you, who you are yourself. Cause I had teammates at both school, like colleges that I was at and actually probably like my whole life that put too much responsibility on the coach for their mm-hmm. advancement as an athlete. And at their demise did that so that they weren't, allowing themselves to become the best version of themselves um, as athletes, because they thought that it was the coach's responsibility to create them into something. And it's a coach's responsibility to help cultivate an environment that allows an individual to succeed. However, you know, they can hand you a glass of water, but they can't pour it down your, your throat and make your body like digest it. Right. Um, and I, I think that's such an important um you know, a piece of, you know, what you're talking about, important point is because what you just said is, is not only applicable, you know, just in 
uh, the sports world or athletes world, but that's something that carries on, you know, post sports, if you're going out into the workforce or, um, you know, that's, it's the same thing as having, you know, a manager or a director, they can cultivate yeah. the environment, but you can't sit there and blame them for work that you're not getting mm. done. Um, now they are an important piece to that again, and, and leading you in the right direction and giving you the resources to become a better employer uh, in the coach perspective, become a better player. Um, but you know, you can't put full blame on a coach and, and your development because um, that ultimately is, is on you. You know, you take the resources you're given and make the best of them. And then if you don't have all the resources, you go out there and you find them um, yeah. or, or, you know, just make the best situation you can and, you know, take it on yourself to say, this is, this is, you know, the goal I have and I'm going to get there. I'm going to use these resources and hopefully this coach can aid me and getting to there. Yeah. I think like understanding the agency that you have over yourself is so valid. And right. you bring up like such a great point of like, this isn't something that is only in the back sports capacity this is a like a life skill that you really need to cultivate and understand um so yeah there's so much so much value in that yeah so going on from there um you know we we've talked about a lot of really cool parts uh, uh of the process or you know making an athlete and and what it was for you paris um so you know a lot of times when i talk to parents um something i like to ask is and this is a heavy question, but is what can I do to keep my inter my kids interested or my kid interested in sports? Um, so you know, what would what would be your advice on that? And this is you know obviously a very weighted question, and it could be a, a holistic view on it. Um, yeah, I have my um, personal opinions, but you know, curious to what what you think. Totally. And this is actually something as a parent. My son is six and a half years old, and while trying to help, you know foster all of his in interests um, is something that I grapple with. <laughs> um, so he started doing track like that. We have a summer track program locally at, uh, at Chabot um, that one of my old teammates is now the head coach of. And so it's been really fun to kind of be able to experience that together and Grayson has absolutely loved that. Uh, at least that's what he tells me. <laughs> and so I don't know if I'm like vicariously living through him on some level, but we, he started doing that same CYO cross country program that I had been in. And Grayson has really bad asthma um, and decided like after a couple practices that his asthma just was so painful that it was unenjoyable for him. And so where I've had to sit as a parent is, is like one of the more challenging thing. And I'm probably going to have a little bit like this might be an unpopular opinion, but I had to forego my expectation of that situation and like understand that if he wasn't having a good time, I didn't want to ruin that experience for him. So I let him not do it. And I've also tried to allow him to find things that do light his soul on fire. So he loves karate right now. He's really into like Japanese right. anime and all of that. And so, um, you know, what I've had to do as a parent is forego my ego and allow him to find things those things that he's passionate about 
passionate about and foster those in him, despite what it is that I think that he should be doing. And so he loves like golf. And so we make time to go out and golf together. Um, Me trying to be intentional as an adult, although I have things that I want to do, like allowing, making sure that I'm setting him up for success to do those things that he's passionate about and to keep him jumping around doing a bunch of things. We've talked about him doing fencing because he's interested in sword fighting and (laughs) just like things that are kind of out of the norm. Um, But, you know, that moment when I had to be like, if you don't want to run cross country, like it's okay. And we also had this happen even with indoor soccer. And, you know, like I was living my dream when I first got him on that soccer field. Like I was pumped in every way, shape and form. And when he started having breakdowns on the soccer field, like I had to really sit there in that uncomfortable place as a parent of, you know, when do you motivate him and push him forward and not let him just quit? And when do you understand that this isn't going to be fruitful for anybody if he continues in in it and so i think my advice to parents is drop your ego and let your kids decide what it is that they really want to do and i know that's difficult and again kind of to circle back to my parents like i wanted to be a ballerina and i like to for a while i would kind of prod and be like i could have gone to juilliard if you would have just allowed me (laughs) but i also wouldn't be who i am or where i am had i not had parents who put me in those places so i don't know like it's a balance and i think at some point you're going to have to know that you're going to end up paying therapy for (laughs) therapy bills for it that's true and i think you know what you just described is, is such an admirable approach as a parent and and it's exactly as you say it's it's trying to understand the balance of of motivation versus you know being forceful and um you, you know you can't force that passion into them and and from my yeah. experience as you know an instructor and a coach um you know the, the hardest uh, you know the most lost causes i would see is when i was teaching someone who had a parent that was down their throat um you know, yelling at the time, you can just uh, tell that there's no passion and for that sport and that they're there because they're being forced to. And then you yeah. can see the exact opposite of a kid who's not, you know, who's just loves the, the game and they're taking everything in. Um, but it's something that, you know, in your response, I think that's such an admirable response. Um, going on, so, um, you know, we're going to, you know, looking to wrap up this uh, great uh, podcast, but um, we're going to do a speed round. But after that, I'm going to give one more cool. question, one more question before speed. Sweet. Round. Um, and that's just, what would you do differently that you uh, know today? And I know there's, there could be many things, but if you could just hone in on, on one, you know, lesson learned um, that a parent or an athlete out there listening could learn from um, during the process of, of, moving on to that next level, what would that be? Mm -hmm. I would have, I would have understood the power of mindset a lot earlier on. And I would have been meditating every single day because it's transformed my life as an adult. And I wish that I would have had that tool in my, like in my back pocket as an athlete, because I think that I like to believe that I could have gone on and done way more, but I'm also really thankful for the path that I walked. Um, And I don't think I would have had to have struggled so much as an athlete had I had that tool set. So understanding the power of mindset, 
like truly, I think it's, you hear all of these buzzwords all the time as an athlete, but um, really sitting in that place of understanding the power of it. And then that addition of meditation, because those two are very, um, they work simultaneously. Like you need, you can't have one without the other or one you can hypothetically, but they're not going to be as powerful. So mindset and meditation, I wish I would have had those much earlier on in my life. (laughs) I don't think I would have had to have struggled so much as an adult. That's awesome. That's something that is often, you know, overseen is the mental approach, the game. It's it's just as important as, as the physical skills you need uh, in playing your sport. So definitely as a parent athlete, you know, take a look at that mental approach and understanding it better. All right. Yeah. So now speed round this is what we do at the end of uh, all of our podcasts and um, just uh, one word or one sentence, a uh, couple sentence answers. So favorite okay. athlete role model growing up and you mentioned it earlier, but let's, let's, let's hear it again. So favorite athlete okay. role model. I have three. Steve right. Prefontaine, Brandy Chastain, Billy Jean King. Perfect. Favorite moment ever in your sports career. Oh shit. This is hard. Um, probably my race at LSU when I almost broke coach Goodson's Uh, um, record. That's probably one of the coolest, either that or actually getting the full ride scholarship and getting to Southern Miss. I don't know. I'm one of those like very like I'm a collector of all the good That's things. That's okay. So <laughs> That's perfectly fine. I know it's it's hard for an athlete to choose just one. When yeah, they, they have. But so I still play through that that race. I still can very vividly know feel that like feeling of running down that last hundred meter and watching the time tick. Um, it was a really special moment. That's awesome. And then last one, favorite professional sports moment that you got to witness. Oh, I watched the U.S. I think it was nine, 1998 when the women's um, U.S. team was in the Olympics or not the Olympics, sorry, the World Cup. And they were playing at Stanford and they had played. It wasn't Brazil. It was, I was think it, it might have been. I think it was Japan. Wow, you're good. And we stayed around. There was a men's like expo game afterwards. And we had parked pretty far off. And as we were walking back to our car, this is now like hours later. First of all, that game was amazing. My face was painted. I definitely (laughs) painted a t-shirt for it. But on the way back, we walked by a hotel that ended up having like an after party. And we got to... um, I schmoozed my way in um, and I got to meet Brandy Chastain in person and her father. And I got a picture with them and my parents were the district for CYSA tournament coordinators. And so we went to the CYSA um, like expo every single year. And the year that Brandy Chastain was inducted into the hall of fame, we brought that picture, got to, or her, she actually ended up couldn't be there. Her parents were there. And so we gave the picture to her dad and I had a Jersey um, and she mailed it all back with a, a letter and had signed stuff and like added a bunch of additional stuff. So that moment of both meeting like my idol um, who then like in the next game went on to like take off her shirt after, you know, doing the last goal of um, the, the penalty kicks. But um, that was such a cool cool moment and all of those things like being pieced together something i hold with deep deep reverence um that i love that 
that was an amazing amazing time or amazing <laughs> experience and i i fact checked myself it was it was 99 against china yeah oh that too it was i, yeah, I could because they played like, japan so much recently that i figured yeah. it, it was uh japan usa but it was china usa in a yeah because they went on and played brazil right in the the finals i think it was or maybe it was brazil that they played at stanford and then went on to play china in the the gold the gold medal game I forget something like that just to fact check yes exactly so awesome well paris i greatly appreciate you uh, getting on the making an athlete podcast and and telling us about your experience as uh becoming or as you were an athlete throughout the uh your youth and uh, to college days and, and talking about that process it's important um that we talk about this and getting understanding of there out there of uh the steps it takes to becoming that next level athlete. So thank you for your time and thank you for yeah, joining us today. Of course. Thank you so much, Ty, for having me. Um, happy thank you for listening to the Making an Athlete Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor. Check us out at makinganathlete.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to catch our next episode.